Bulls Gold is delivered to you via the Barroom Network, now in its seventh year of providing podcasts about Chicago sports, movies, and more. Make sure to subscribe to the Barroom Network for free and easy downloads of its programming. And visit its merchandising store at deepdishtees.com to purchase t-shirts, hoodies, and mugs. Now, on with the show. I'm Edward Shula, joined as always by Salim Sudawala. Salim, how you doing today, man? Hey, Ed, I'm good. I am uh, living well. We'll have these uh, back-to-back Bulls wins, two in a row. Right. <laughs> I think we haven't had two-game winning streak all season, and I can't remember how, when it was the last time in general. It just feels like forever since the Bulls had a two-game winning streak. So I'm living well. Bulls are shooting the ball better. The offense looks better in these two games. Uh, the defense looks a lot better in these two games. Hmm. Everything's everything's going bulls. Everything's going Millhouse. Right. Yeah. It's <laughs> but the last episode we did, we were. I feel like we just haven't been feeling it. The last couple of episodes, there's been a lot going on, but these last two games have given us a, a little bit of a glimmer of hope, I guess. But I, I feel like it, it's weird because there's still so much going on it almost feels like there's kind of like a kind of like a dark cloud still hanging around us while all of this is happening we got a kobe white breakout um you know patrick williams is playing better i was showing some signs of life the team is giving us some some positive vibes but it still feels like you know we're uh (laughs) you get what i'm saying like it still feels like yeah it's it's like it's it's fake right (laughs) all joking aside it's all fake so it's like we gotta we're just waiting for the Zach trade to happen, and uh, we're hoping this idiotic front office doesn't like keep trying to win and not, like just just do the like you know these they get these two wins against teams that are you know I mean the Bucks are a good team but they're kind of I think they're a little bit of a fraud contender, uh, and I don't know how seriously they were taking the Bulls. And then, like, you have some weak teams coming up right here that you're probably going to win and then give this, again, this front office more false, you know, I- idea of, like, this team is a relevant team to try to uh, make a playoff push with. Uh, I know we were going to talk about all that stuff with them trading Zach and trying to assess the roster and all that nonsense. But, yeah, it's just it's just kind of, like, biding our time until something uh a roster shuffle happens here yeah yeah it's yeah maybe maybe ak was on to something with the uh rumored report of him wanting to see what this team is going to look like post zach levine trade but you know we we have a lot to get into we're going to talk about how the team has looked over the past couple of games we're going to talk about kobe white's breakout he's been playing fantastic uh this season and like it, I feel like we've been really on this Kobe White train since the offseason with all the reports that were coming out and 
you know, he got his contract extension. So we're, we're going to get into Kobe White. We're going to get into Patrick Williams again with our Project Pat segment. And we're going to talk more about some of these uh, kind of trade scenarios and just looking at the future involving this team with Zach Levine. So uh, we got a lot to get into. And, and joining us today on Bulls Gold, we have a first-time guest on Bulls Gold. He is the co-host of Cash Considerations with Jason Pat. He also is a writer and editor for SB Nation. Ricky O'Donnell, Ricky, man, welcome to Bulls Gold, man. Happy to have you here. What's going on, guys? Thanks for having me. Been a big fan of the show for a long time, and I feel like there's so many Bulls podcasts out there. It's always yeah. good to like right. connect with another one. So uh, you guys do some great work, and our timing couldn't be better because I feel like every time we do a show on cash considerations or I'm just like tweeting about a Bulls game. It's nothing but negativity. It's nothing but this team sucks, blow it up, fire everyone. I'm just playing the hits from 2017 all over again, you know, (laughs) but finally we get two games that are actually fun to watch where the team can make us proud as fans and uh, give us some entertainment as you know, it gets dark early and the temperatures get colder Really, what more can you ask for? So uh, two really fun games. I think that Bucks win was the game of the year. If the Bulls have a better game than that this year, man, I will be shocked. That was like such an inspiring win to beat the Bucks at basically full strength without DeMar DeRozan, without Zach Levine. And then to come up the next game and take advantage of a Pelicans team on a back-to-back, a great Kobe White game. Yeah, it's the first time all year I could say Bulls vibes trending up. And uh, I'm sort of interested to see what you guys think about these two games. And, uh, you know, is this team actually better without Zach Levine? I find it hard to believe, but, you know, these two <laughs> games were uh, they were pretty fun to watch. So maybe I'm maybe I'm more open minded to that than I was previously. Yeah, that's what that's what I was going to ask. Like, is it a coincidence that the, the two best games of the year come with Zach Levine out of the lineup? And it, it's just dare I say re-energizing? I, I don't know. Like, not to say that Zach Levine is a cancer or anything like that or is some negative player, but it's just, I don't know. It, it just seems very poetic how that kind of developed. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think the main thing is that Zach has been an awesome off-ball scorer for the entire time the Bulls have had him. They've never really paired him with a great playmaker, and the one time they did for the 35-game stretch with Lonzo, the team looked phenomenal. Uh, besides for that stretch though, Levine has always sort of been a guy who has sort of taken on responsibilities that maybe he wasn't fit for because he was the best player on a crappy team. Uh, this year though, Levine's play has been worse than ever. Like, I think that a lot of the narrative, like national narrative around Levine is sort of false. I think like he's a victim of spending a lot of his time in two bad organizations traditionally with the Timberwolves and the Bulls. Uh, but what Zach has done this year has just been a player who looks totally disengaged. He's been a player who sort of reverted to his worst tendencies on both sides of the ball. And if you're like the rest of the team, having someone who's just like actively moping, someone who requested a trade, what, like six or seven games into the season to have that guy gone, it's got to just be like a breath of fresh air for everyone else. It has to feel like, you know, the anchor around your leg has been released and now everyone else can just uh, get a little more room to breathe and can be themselves uh, in a fuller sense. So 
I find it hard to believe that the Bulls are going to be a better team without Zach Levine in the long term. In the short term, I think that there's definitely something to it uh, because Zach's play hasn't been very good. And because, uh, you know, for whatever reason, everyone else has just sort of been able to slot into better, more appropriate roles. And just like the fight and the energy from the team has just been like so much more evident, like the defensive rotations and fighting over screens have been there. Uh, the ball movement has been there. There's been less like catching and holding. They're actually like winning 50, 50 balls and not just Caruso. It's like everyone. Uh, so yeah, I think like the team definitely looks more cohesive and certainly more fun to watch without Zach Levine on the team. I think as fans, this is a good thing because Zach Levine's getting traded. He told the Bulls, I want to be traded. If anything, the Bulls screwed up by not trading him in the offseason and letting it like get to this point where, you know, the rift between the best player and the organization has gotten so wide that like he had to just tell him straight up or maybe in the most Midwestern way possible. Hey, I'm open to a trade, a.k.a. I'm requesting a trade. Get me out of here. Send me literally anywhere else. Uh so yeah, it's been fun to watch. What do you guys think? Are the Bulls better without Zach Levine? You guys tell me. Uh, I mean, I feel like this right now they seem it. I mean, it's hard to gauge just from two games, um, and obviously this season, like you said, is different than years past. Like I don't think if we had years past Zach, this team is better without him. But just the way, like you mentioned, he's playing. He's playing kind of selfishly. He's looking for his own. He's not really trying to play the offense, do the offensive things that Billy wants him to do. Uh, you know, they famously had that uh, meet team meeting without the coach after game one that they lost against OKC. And uh, obviously I'm sure that had a lot to do with how Zach was trying to force things in the offensive game plan and how other teammates weren't happy with it. And you, I think, you know, when they beat the Bucks without DeMar and Zach, that was like, okay, man, it's crazy how both of those. But then you saw them also do it again with DeMar. And DeMar, for hit, to his credit, hasn't really been a ball stopper unless, like, everything falls apart and then we have to rely on DeMar to be the guy that just takes over in the fourth quarter and, and isolates because there's not just nothing else anyone else can do. So... Yeah, I think, like, it's so tough to tell. Like, I think the, with the, the way Zach is playing right now, it's definitely a case to be made that because he's being such a negative, like that James Harden type of player where he's just kind of quitting on the team, yeah, the Bulls are better without that type of player, uh, in the, at least in the short term, like you mentioned. Yeah, I'm, I'm so conflicted, man, because on, on one hand, this team is playing really entertaining basketball, and Kobe White is – is looking fantastic. I mean, the patience that, I mean, everything that's played out with Kobe White has just been amazing. I mean, to think that we were, you know, two years ago thinking about, you know, how to get rid of him for little to nothing. And now he's probably a really pivotal part of the Bulls' future. And he's, you know, doing this. He's creating off the dribble. He's, uh, the game has really slowed down for him in real time. Like, I remember his rookie season where he was playing almost really frantically, but now he's just really like slicing and dicing people off the dribble and just killing people with these hezzies and step backs. And he's still money with the catch and shoot game. It's just, it's just fantastic to watch. So it's the, the Zach Levine that we've seen this season. I agree with both of you that this team is better off without that player. The Zach Levine that we know overall as a bull, we're not better off without that player, but 
on the other hand, this team playing like this and really showing us all these good vibes. And like you said, Ricky, they're doing a lot of the extra things that they weren't doing before. I feel like it's only going to have even more of a negative perception on Zach Levine's trade value. And to me, it just seems to be like, it just seems to be this whole big pile on, on Zach Levine's trade value right now from, you know, his play overall to the rollout of the trade request. to now you're seeing the Chicago Bulls team having fun and doing all the things that we wanted to see them do earlier in the season. And it's without Zach in the lineup. So I don't, I don't know. It's just so conflicting. And then you just see all of these reports about how, you know, teams don't want to give up such and such form. And then you see these random tweets from fans who are like, oh, I'm not going to give up the sixth best player on the Lakers for Zach Levine. It's just, I don't know. It's just so conflicting because we know Zach Levine is a, at heart, we know he's a good player, and I think once he gets out of the situation, he will probably go back to being what he was before. But what he is now, it definitely isn't good vibes for the team, and it, it kind of is an anchor. Like, you just don't want all of that in the locker room right now. Yeah, that, like offensively, like you see there, like the obviously just look at the box score, simple stat, like the 30-team assists back-to-back, plus at a 32 against the Bucks. And then 32 against the Pelicans, that kind of shows like how much they're moving the ball around. Uh, and it's not, you know, resorting in a lot of isolation play. Like we haven't seen too much of that outside of a few uh, DeMar ISOs. But yeah, I mean, I don't know. It just so, it just so like, like I said, it's just so hard to really assess anything because just like I said, it's only two games. And then obviously they're going to play these two easy teams that are, like the Spurs and the Pistons who haven't won a game in like a month or two months, it seems like. I don't know when's the last time they won the game. But, yeah, I mean, I think the bright spots are like like we're going to be talking about Kobe White and uh, Patrick Williams, really. Uh, those guys, the, but the way they've been playing the last two games, I think really in Kobe, to get into him, and the last month, I want to say, he's really – his shooting has gotten back to – what you want it to be. He's been shooting like, I think it was like 46% since the game against the Pistons, yeah. uh, which was on, on November 12th. Um, he's taken a lot of, a lot of the work he said, he talked about with uh, Pete Patton, uh, the way he was um, like looking at his shot and how he worked on a shot. Like he just like, you know, I'm, I've all been a good shooter. So I never really uh, took advice from anyone about, how I could correct the mistakes I was making on my misses, uh, hearing stuff like that, and Kobe just in general talking about how he watched watches film. Um, where, where are you at with Kobe right now, as far as your expectations coming into this season? And do you think like maybe there's even a lot more room for Kobe to grow here? Because again, he's only 23, and you hear the things he's saying, how hard he works. Like, do you feel more confident? And as far as Maybe he could be a solid starting player, or do you still see him more as like a six-man type of player? So what I'll say about Kobe is I think like more than most guys, his overall value to the team is going to be dependent on his shot making. Because if I was going to say like, what's Kobe's best skill on the basketball floor? I would say it's his ability to get up shots and just like being able to get up 10 threes per 100 possessions in an NBA game is a skill. That's not something that everyone can do. Uh, but, you know, throughout his career, we've seen Kobe be 
pretty streaky as a shooter. Now, he's usually like, you know, a 36 or 37% shooter from three on that type of volume. But man, if you can level up to a 40% shooter, suddenly his offense and his scoring is just a lot more potent. And being able to be improved as a shooter uh, really sort of accentuates the other improvements he's made in his game over, I'll say, the last two seasons. Uh, Ed mentioned just, like, the patience that he's playing with. I think that, like, that just jumps off the screen. Like, when before, I always thought that Kobe was a guy who just played at one speed. Like, he was fast, but his speed didn't really, like, benefit him a ton because he only played at one speed. He was never like catching guys off guard. It felt like now he seems a little more patient uh, with the ball in his hands, like going over screens, waiting a beat before he hits the pocket pass or before he rifles it to the corner on the skip pass. So I think that's impressive. The handle obviously was a big thing last year and continues to get better. There was a video going around that you guys probably saw from like an account. I think it was like Bulls UK that basically showed Kobe doing like a snatch back dribble move into a three in practice uh, during the off season or during his individual training sessions in the off season. And then he did that move against the Pelicans. So it's like, that was great to see like in credit to that account for like going back and putting those two videos together and just like showing like, Hey, you know, this, off-season training work that like sometimes I think NBA fans it's easy for us to roll our eyes at when we see that like oh Ben Simmons ripping a bunch of three-pointers in an open run at lifetime fitness call me when he can do that you know 50% as well in an actual NBA game and I'll believe it uh but you have seen the fruit of Kobe's labor in these games still only 23 years old I think he's turns 24 just after the new year and he's locked into a very reasonable contract from the team's perspective of like, I think he's making like 11 million a year or something or 12 million a year yeah. for the next couple seasons. So yeah, in general, I was pretty down on Kobe actually for most of this year. I wanted them to start Javon Carter. I thought that Kobe was getting targeted too much defensively. I thought that it does look like he had a little too much dip on his, or a little too much dip on his chip. A lot of times I thought where it seemed like he was trying to do too much or, uh, you know, the shot just wasn't falling and that was part of it, but now he's on a heater three point percentage over 40%. Obviously he totally carried the team in the last game and I am interested to see, can he sustain this? Because he's always been very streaky throughout his career. If he can even be a 39% three-point shooter or like, you know, really be a strong 38% shooter, I think that that would be pretty good improvement for him. And I loved his comment about working with the new shooting coach, Patton. Thank you, Bulls, for finally hiring a shooting coach seven years into the rebuild. Like, what the hell were you guys waiting for? This should have been done so long ago. And I suddenly feel like I have a renewed enthusiasm for Kobe and an open mind on what he can be uh, because these last two games have been really good. Right. Yeah. I'm comparing Kobe to like, maybe he could be like a Malik Monk. Like obviously Malik Monk is awesome. more athletic than Kobe, but like, I, I kind of seen that. I feel like that could be a realm of possibility. I feel like more than that at this point, I think, uh, good but i don't know like i think i think kobe could be something a little bit more i don't know Maybe how about not. cj mccollum is a kobe comp oh that would be 
That would be fantastic. <laughs> that would be pretty damn good if he could. That's yeah. what I kind of thought about Kobe entering that draft. Is I kind of thought he could be someone like McCollum, who was like the midpoint between a microwave scorer and like a point guard who could run the team. I think Kobe definitely looks better running the team, but like Billy even said in his press conference after the Pelicans game, he was so quick to note when they asked him about Kobe, he's like, Kobe's really good when he gets off the ball and he relocates and he shoots. And Billy's like, and I yell at him every time he doesn't take the jumper. So like, to me, I don't really view Kobe as this is your primary creator moving forward. I think he's a nice piece to the team. I don't know if you could trust him to like totally make the right decision every time down the floor for the foreseeable future. But these reps he's getting this year as the starting point guard, he's playing so many minutes. He's playing like 32 minutes a game, I think. Uh, that's just really beneficial for his continued development. Still very young. And it's just been nice to see him, uh, you know, just get better this year. Yeah. As uh, as Chris Amundsen would say, invest in player development. And that is really starting to show for the Bulls for once. And it feels good that, you know, we, we've always talked about how these young players get better after leaving the Bulls and that patience has paid off, you know, for if you were a fan of those young talents. But seeing Kobe be here in his fifth season now with the team and really starting to break out, like, I mean, that's like that's what that's the side of the coin that we really want to be on. So I, I think you mentioned it, Ricky. The thing that I wanted to see from Kobe is if he could make that jump from being a streaky shooter to being an, an elite type of shooter. And we're seeing those flashes of it. Like we're seeing a 42% three-point clip on about, what, 7.1 uh, attempts per 36, which is crazy. And he's a big part of why this team has increased their three-point rate this season. I think now they're, what, like 14 for 15th in three-point rate this season. And he's been a really big part of it. So, yeah, I, I don't know. Like I think I don't think Kobe is... I think you're right that I don't think Kobe is going to be someone that you're going to build a team around squarely, but he, he's going to be a good piece. And I feel I feel good about him being more than a six man and at least a pretty solid starter. It just depends on what those other pieces look like. But I mean, that's so far down the road that I, I don't even know what that's going <laughs> to what that's actually going to be. But yeah, it, it's hard not to be impressed with what he's doing offensively. And even the effort he makes defensively the last um, like even going back to last season, we really started to see him put in more effort on that side, be in the right places, make those extra plays. I don't think he's a, a liability on that side anymore. So, you know, he, he's not a he's not a two way guy, but you can put him on the floor and you're not going to be hiding Kobe White on defense or taking him off for, you know, offense defensive switch um, for certain plays. So, yeah, I'm loving what I'm seeing from Kobe. Uh, Salim, I would say that like or I've always thought this. Zach and Kobe, not a great fit together because they're both pretty thin. They both lack strength and they're both sort of short armed. Now, Levine was the guy who was like killing it as a scorer. So I always thought like, you know, who cares about Kobe? Like you're building the team around Zach. This is your franchise player. Kobe can be, you know, a microwave scorer. He can be a bench guy. After these two games, now I'm like, well, I still think that like Zach and Kobe are not really a great fit together, but now Zach's going to be gone eventually. If the question is, is the team better without Zach Levine, which I still find hard to believe, but if that's the question, you know, I think definitely some guys can be better without him and Kobe could be one of them. So what do, what do you think about like the Kobe Zach 
Like, do you think Kobe's benefiting from Zach not being there? Like, not really the whole team, but like, you know, do you, do you, I guess, agree that like those two guys aren't a good fit or, you know, how, how do you yeah. see sort of Kobe growing without him? Well, I think like Kobe ideal situation is like not being surrounded by a guy like Zach, who's also really weak. You said defensively. And like you mentioned, you know, Zach, it's always been talked about, and we've also heard, you know, like people say he's tough to play with, especially his playing style. He he takes a lot of the high usage. He's not really like a a guy that is great at moving the ball. He's not to say he's selfish. He's a willing passer, but not someone that has like the best vision out there, Um, unless it's like a very set play like a pick and roll that he's doing at Bucci, he can make that mechanical play, but he's not somebody that has like really great vision. And when he's out there kind of using up all the usage, it leaves little for other players. Um, someone like Kobe, who like he obviously he's a Kobe's also a rhythm player. So he needs to kind of get going, get opportunities himself. So yeah, that, that to your point, you know, playing without a guy like Zach can make it easier for a guy like Kobe because, like I said, he's a rhythm player, getting more opportunities to get some shots in. Um, yeah, I think that's, I mean, that's a good point to see. And we'll see, like, you know, it, like we talk about, we'll see how Kobe finishes the rest of the season, but like it's, it's not that far off from how Zach looked, I think, when he was 23. Like he, he was kind of similar, like a, a guy that shot could could score. I think Kobe's ahead of Zach right now as a ball handler at the same age. Um, I think you can probably trust Kobe a little bit better with the ball in his hand uh, as opposed to Zach, who who you're always like screaming at him to be off ball because he, he's gonna he's like one like possession away from just t- making a terrible turnover. So yeah, I, I think. All right. The more I talk, the more I get into the idea of Kobe like having a much higher ceiling than I think a lot of us thought he might have, just because of the way if he can, if this is obviously we have to find out if this is just a hot streak with a shooting first off. If this is something consistent, like as a score, like he's not far off from what Zach was before he broke out, and like I said, he's a better ball handler than Zach at that point. So. Some of the names we're mentioning, like those aren't unrealistic, you know, ceilings for Kobe at that point then. Yeah. Yeah. And like you said, like he's 23 years old. And I mean, if the handle continues to get better, and I think it will. And if you talk about his shooting continuing at this like high clip, I mean, yeah, I mean, the the ceiling is going to be is going to be significant. Um You know, going going to another young player um in Patrick Williams and. I, I feel like we're always in the in these peaks and valleys in our in our Patrick Williams discussion in really just trying to in, in his development. And it's been tough to start the season, but I feel like Patrick Williams in these last couple of games, he's really started to come on. He's shooting the ball better lately. We're seeing him be more aggressive offensively. And I, I think we're starting to get back to what he was last season without those struggles. So uh, uh Ricky, what do you what do you think about Patrick Williams' play recently? And for for us, we've it's been a big topic of conversation in terms of what his overall view is going to be for the season. So, um, not only what do you feel about how he's performed recently, but where do you think he'll be at the end of the season? Like, what what do you think is like a a place where you would feel that if Patrick Williams can get to that that spot this season, that 
it would be a successful year for him as a pro. Yeah, the Pat discussion is always pretty complicated, I think, because, you know, it's just multifaceted. Like, okay, some things that I think we could safely say. He was not the right pick with the number four overall pick. He's yeah. been a disappointing number four overall pick. That's that, why. That is completely I mean, there fair. were a bunch of better players drafted after him. Mm-hmm. He's not a top-level guy. To me, he does not look like a future all-star. Mm-hmm. So it sort of is what it is. Uh, I was hoping, and I think everyone was hoping, that he would take a bigger leap offensively this year. To me, he kind of looks like the same guy offensively. I don't know what you guys think. If you think he's improved in like certain areas, I don't really – I didn't do a deep dive into the numbers yet. Uh, all right, I pulled it up real quick. Is he better at like finishing? No. Is he better from – like, you know, he just hasn't shot the ball well this year. Um, so I don't think we've really seen the leap that maybe we wanted to with him. And then the other thing that's frustrating is like, there's so much low hanging fruit with Patrick Williams, where like, if he just got a little bit better at offensive rebounding, he'd be a better player. If he could just get to the foul line, he would be a better player. If he can just speed up his three point release and shoot more threes, he would be a better player. Mm. To me, none of these have really been addressed this year. But that all serves as the pretext to say, I think Patrick Williams is definitely a keeper. I hope the Bulls re-sign him. I hope he's with the Bulls for a long time. Because even if he is sort of a disappointment in terms of like where he was drafted, he's still a very useful player. He's the type of player every team needs. And I don't see a world where the Bulls, you know, hopefully entering a rebuild, we'll see what Arturis does, but you know, whatever they do, whether they enter a rebuild or whether they foolishly, you know, double down and try to chase the nine seed again. I think that any iteration of this team is just going to be better with Pat because every team in the league needs guys who are six foot seven, 235 pounds, can be secondary rim protectors, can be wing stoppers and can knock down a wide open three pointer. And I'm watching the Pacers game last night. God, that was such a fun game. The Pacers yeah. the really in season tournament and like, you know who was really a key for the Pacers in that game was Aaron Neesmith. Why? Because who the hell else is going to guard Jason Tatum? It's not like you can put Buddy right. Heels on him. Tyrese Halliburton, who's incredible, is just a total turnstile on defense. He's like he's like Steve Nash on both ends of the floor. Like his <laughs> offense is incredible, his defense is just terrible. So you need wing stoppers. You need big forwards because in the NBA, most teams have these guys. And we've seen Pat take on those defensive assignments from Shea Gilgis Alexander in the opener to Tatum, LeBron, Kawhi, whoever it is. Pat is a very good defensive player. He's still 22 years old. Uh, And even while he's a disappointment offensively, he can hit a wide open three. And I think like lately he's ticking up a little bit. You've seen him be a little more aggressive, see him hunt a shot a little bit more. His you know, he started off so terrible shooting the ball. We knew that we know he's a pretty good shooter. Like he's cash on free throws. What is he like a 90% free throw shooter for his career or somewhere around there. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I just, I guess he's not, he's a 77% free throw shooter for his career. So, but he was 85% last year. Uh, But while he is a little disappointing overall, given where they drafted him, I really think that like Pat should be part of the team long-term you need your wing stopper 
and he can be that guy. And his game's a little more diverse than that, too. He offers you, like, you know, some rim protection inside. Uh, he can hit a three. His mid-range pull-up is good. So I'm totally pro Patrick Williams. I think they need to keep him and re-sign him. I hope he just keeps getting better and can address some of that low-hanging fruit. But, you know, it's a tough discussion to have because the franchise had just pinned all their hopes on his shoulders. And, like, it doesn't seem like he's going to come through and be that guy they really needed him to be. But I still think he's a solid piece that you want to keep around. Would you have... Really quick. So I want to get your thoughts on this because something you mentioned about Kobe earlier about how he was, like, he was fast, but he wasn't really using his speed on the offensive end. And I think a lot of that had to do with processing the game on the offensive end, um, when to react on certain plays, uh, how to attack on certain plays, I should say. Um, and I think that's what the same problem with Pat is right now. Like, he, his processing is slower on the offensive end. And I think when we talk about the development, in the, in the last, I want to say, six games, I feel like he's doing a little bit better as as playing like a role player. I mean, I don't know if you've noticed it at all, but I feel like he's doing the better things like cutting uh, to the basket, kind of um, doing the little role player things and and not trying to force, you know, try to force like dribble. Because like, a lot of the time when he tries to dribble, especially with his left hand, he dribbles off his foot. He's not trying to do those things in these, at least these last six games. He's, it seems to be learning how to be that role player. Like, how do you feel about that? Because I feel like that processing angle is something that he needs developed. And maybe we're seeing some signs there that he's kind of getting that learning that role player role. Yeah, maybe. Uh, I still sort of think he looks mostly like the same guy, but that's a good point. Like I would like, I'm definitely interested in hearing what you guys think. If you think that he's made leaps in any specific areas and maybe that is one of just like, let's call it like opportunistic scoring or just like sort of hustle plays. Yeah. That's what he should be doing. Especially like, you know, he's been in, we all know this, but he's been in a tough position with like the mid three taking up so much of the offensive oxygen, you know, Pat, he's never been a guy who's been able to handle a lot of usage, even like his usage rate just never increases. It's always 15%. Mm. The average for an NBA star, you know, player is 20%. So he's just like, not someone who's going to be able to soak up a lot of offensive possessions. Uh, yeah, I think maybe he's gotten better in those areas, but I want to see him more. I'd really love to see him attack the offensive glass. I'd love to see him as a cutter, uh, continue to lean into that. But, you know, the other thing, like I said with Kobe, is just like the reps are so good. And like, even though last year for the Bulls sucked, the fact that Pac played 82 games, coming off a season where he got like hurt in the sixth game or whatever it was when Mitchell Robinson clotheslined in midair like just the fact that he played all those games i thought was like a really positive sign for his development long term and i think like defensively he's better than ever is he all defense level good probably not but he's very good i think that that's just a fact like you know you look up the epm stats he's like 91st or 92nd percentile in terms of defensive effectiveness so uh, I don't know if he's gotten better as a role player. I want to believe that to be true. I'm not sure if I'm ready yeah. to say it. I'm not ready. To, I'm not ready to say it's not true. I just don't know. What do you think? Adam? Yeah, I just. I guess I. I also look at. I mean, I, I. I'm sure you've seen my tweets, and you, if you've listened to us at all in the past, you know I'm a big Pat guy. So 
Uh, <laughs> I, maybe it's a little biased, like Pat called glasses. I look at it with, but it just kind of feels like he's learning that role player role. And and like and on the defensive end, like you said, he's posting career highs and steal percentage at two percent and block percentage at three point nine percent. Um, I mean, I guess the defensive side, and like you already mentioned, but from his rookie year to now, I, I feel like, again, not that he's a defensive player a year, but I think that's made a big leap um, because I know people just, you know, coming into the league, league as a rookie just assumed that he was going to be a good defender right away. But you saw a lot of uh, mistakes that he made, especially on the, helping out on the weak side. He would miss rotations, you get back cut things like that. But now you see that less frequently, a lot less frequently. And in general, like he's being a more of a disruptor on the defensive end. So, I mean, I guess that's the big leap in that sense. But again, like you said, offensively, I think if you can just kind of become like that, start taking like five or six threes a game um, and hit them at like a 37, 38% clip. And again, just do those role player things well. And, and I think, like I said, I'm, I feel like I see. I feel like I've seen him in the Laxus games uh, develop that and understand how to be that role player a little better. I think that's that's going to be a quality player for a really long time in this league. Yeah, I, I think I, I think with Pat, it's I, I think a lot of things Salim's saying kind of like matches what I think. I think he is starting to figure out more as a role player, but I also agree with you, Ricky, that. I think in terms of just projecting him to be anything more is really tough because I feel like by now, like four seasons more or, or like four seasons in, I feel like we would have seen some sort of um, like some sort of traits or like instincts or talent that really signified that he could be something more. Now, granted, like you said, he has been in these situations where he's been playing in a supporting role behind so many veterans and it's been on a team that's been trying to win, but you know, it, it just hasn't really jumped out even in those really like small moments when he has gotten those opportunities. So it's really hard to like project him as being this like, you know, the expectations I feel like were kind of out of control when he was drafted. So it's hard to like talk about like, I know it was just kind of like a meme or whatever, but when people were talking about Kawhi and all of these other like two-way all-star forwards, like, I, like even Salim knows it. Like that was never like the expectation or like a realistic thing. Right. So I, I think we've kind of been in this camp where maybe hoping that he could be like a, a Luol Deng type or some, you know, some sort of variation of that, like maybe even 80% of Luol Deng would be an acceptable outcome. It's very unlikely that he ever lives up to being that number four pick type of billing, but somewhere in there is going to be a really solid player that can be useful for winning games. And especially with what he can do on the defensive end and the ability to guard multiple positions with his length and athleticism. So having said that, Ricky, what do you, if you're, if you're Arturis and you're negotiating at the end of the season, what is your, what is your hard line in terms of keeping Patrick Williams? Like you mentioned, like, yeah, he should be a bull for a long time and there's going to be a lot of use for him, but like contractually, is there a hard line where you would just be out completely on him? Yeah, it's kind of funny because he's a restricted free agent, so they can match any offer. You know, with Kobe last year, he was a restricted free agent and they just got it done early, right? They just, uh, well, they didn't sign him to an early extension, but they signed him early in free agency. And with Pat, it's like, okay, Jabari Parker told us the truth when he said you don't, players don't get paid for defense. 
if Pat's averaging seven points a game, how much money is he really going to get? Like, I don't care if he's the fourth pick. I just can't see a team throwing $80 million at him. Maybe I'll end up being wrong when we can play this clip when Pat signs an $80 million <laughs> offer sheet with the Pistons, who have always had their eye on him reportedly. Uh, but I don't know. I think that, you know, $15 million a year, even that like sort of seems like a lot, but... I would do that. Like, I don't know if I'd have like a line in the sand where I'm like, I'm not keeping this guy because we'll see what Arturis is going to do. But what he should do is trade Levine, trade Caruso, trade DeRozan, keep Pat, try to find, uh, you know, a future building block with this first round pick. And then, you know, take those future assets and start to build the next iteration of this team where the goal should not just be making the playoffs, but competing for a championship. So I think, uh, you know, very quickly, Pat could go from the young guy on the roster to one of the veterans and someone who's like actually been around and can be a foundational piece. So, yeah, I'm not going to say like there's a number where I'm uncomfortable paying him. I have a hard time believing he's going to get 20 million a year because he can't score very well. If it's fifteen million a year, yeah, I'm fine with that. Sign him four years, you know, sixty million. Sure, sign me up. I think that's about what uh, Denny Avdia signed for, who was in Pat's same draft class, uh, picked a few picks later by Washington, and they're kind of similar players. They're both power forwards who are good defensively, who don't really score a ton. Uh, I think Pat, you know, certainly still has offensive upside that Denny doesn't have and that we haven't seen yet, and like. You know, as we've seen with Kobe this year, sometimes it takes a little bit. And he had a lost season Pat did in his second year. So I'm re-signing Pat. I don't really care what the number is because I don't think it's going to be that big in the first place. I think it depends on what direction the Bulls go here because, like, last season with Kobe, the Bulls kept trying to win, and then they brought in another guard that kind of reduced Kobe's role a little bit. So the numbers never really popped, even though we kind of saw that Kobe was getting better. It just never showed up in the stat, like box score stats. So maybe that played a factor in. But if the Bulls somehow were to trade Zach and they were to trade Demar and and somehow AC as well and give Pat some opportunities to actually put up some box score numbers and then gets if he gets a shooting back to a relatively close to his career average, I mean at twenty two years old again, you talk about that big wing in this league, a young guy that we you know he's in a, he's a really good team defender. And, and also he's really good one-on-one perimeter defender. Um, and the fact that then you see, okay, well, he's shooting the ball really well. I wouldn't be completely shocked to see some team like, again, you said the Pistons or another bad team that's trying to add just talent. I wouldn't be completely shocked to see an 80 or a, um, I don't know if a, another team could give him a five-year deal. So probably a four-year deal, four-year, 80 million. I would, that wouldn't shock me. And I don't think that bull should turn that down either. Cause I think like 20 million, a lot of people think it's like $20 million, but it's just my percentage of the cap at a 22 year old kid making like what 17% of the cap is not, it's not bad. Like if he, if just he, like- they just signed Vooch to $20 million a year, and he's yeah, like, like 33. So if you're going to sign yeah. Vooch and let go of Pat, like what are you doing? Yeah, right, exactly. So I would I would feel comfortable still giving – and not to say if Pat was still only averaging seven points at the end of the year and after the fact that they traded everyone and he just never – like if he started doing like those little things, like, like I said, 
I would be, I'd still feel comfortable giving Pat four year 80 million and, and then going around along with the rebuild and hoping the Bulls can continue to add more young talent. Um, and ideally, uh, get lucky in that 2025 draft where uh, a Cooper flag is uh, coming in. So, I mean, that would be like the goal there. Uh, ideal, like an ideal scenario for the Bulls. Right. It, I think the upside could be like a DeAndre Hunter contract if a team, like you said, if a, if a bad team that doesn't really have any other way to add talent just figures like, hey, let's just overpay and see what happens. But even at that like number, I'd be fine like betting on that for sure. So, I mean, if it's 15 to 20 million, I think you really do have to keep that. Uh, Ricky, you mentioned um, just like a plan overall to just blow this team up. And, you know, we've, we've been talking about trade scenarios these last couple of shows, just like everyone else has with with Zach and Damar and Caruso and just trying to figure out uh, trade partners and values and the timing of everything. And December 15th is right around the corner. So options will start to to really open up for the Bulls to really have some serious discussions about um, the future of his team. So let's start, let's start, let's start with Zach Levine. So we, we were talking about him earlier, but we didn't really get into any specifics about where he could potentially go in a trade and what we realistically could expect back. So we, we know the perception around the league with him is not very high right now. And we know the bulls are probably not going to get the types of deals that have gone on in the past for all-star players or, or even like fringe all-star types of players. So in, in your opinion, what teams do you kind of see being the best match for Zach Levine? And what do you expect the type of return to be overall? Yeah, I think the Lakers are the obvious match, especially with them being repped by clutch. The Lakers have a lot of contracts they can consolidate. You know, you think the poo-poo platter Lakers offer is going to be Gabe Vincent, Rui Hachimura, <laughs> and D'Angelo Russell. Yeah, And that 2029 pick that Better be unprotected if you're offering that yeah. garbage. Uh, I think that offer sucks, and typically I would never take it. But I do feel like the Bulls have no choice but to trade Zach Levine this year. And if nobody else wants him, I would take that offer if you cannot get a better offer. And I would be pissed about it, and I would think, this stinks. You know, they really need to nail this Zach trade, and if they take that, they're not nailing it. Uh, obviously, you asked for Austin Reeves. And I would probably tell the Lakers, like, if you have any other deal on the table, like, that Lakers offer stinks so much that I would say, like, put Austin Reeves in the offer. Otherwise, we're not taking this garbage. And, you know, the Lakers, you suck anyway. You're going to lose in the play-in as it looks right now. You're not better than the Wolves. You're not better than the Thunder. You're not better than the Nuggets. Uh, And I don't know. Like, I want no part of Russell. and like that offer in general sucks so if that's like the baseline someone should be able to beat that uh if i'm the bulls i think you got to drag it out which sucks because i would love for them to trade zach levine immediately and just get him off the team and let's know what we got and let's let you know the players still on the team sort of take on the roles that they need to take on with zach gone But I think that it's very vital to the organization to nail this trade return. The best way to do it is to get the rest of the league desperate. Right now, there's no market. That's because it's November or it's early December. And, you know, the it's still too new in the season for teams to feel the desperation by the trade deadline. I think that sets in. Now, of course, it requires Zach Levine not playing the worst season of his career, which is currently what he's doing. 
So it's a very tricky situation. Uh, if I'm the Bulls, I'm looking f- to try to take advantage of other bad organizations. And the Bulls, they know a lot about bad, or- bad organizations because they are one themselves. So I'm looking at the Pistons. I'm looking at the Hornets. Some teams that can feel desperation to try to get Zach Levine. You want a young player. You want picks. If you have to package him with Alex Caruso, I think that's you know something you could do. And... A team I keep keeping an eye on is the Warriors. Yes, yeah, yeah. If anyone's going to be desperate, shouldn't it be the Warriors? Steph is like, he's turning 36 this year, I think. He's still incredible. Clay sucks. They have to move move off him, but it's like he's a legend. It's impossible. But he is an expiring contract. Are you really going to resign him? What does he resign at? That's just going to be messy. I think Bob Myers retired or quit, so he didn't have to deal with Clay because it's just like there's too many feelings tied up in that. Yeah. Uh, so if I'm the Bulls, like, you know, give me Moses Moody, Brandon Pods. We'll take back Wiggins or we'll take back Clay and give me two first round picks and we'll send them Levine and Caruso. And yeah. I think that would be a pretty good haul for the Bulls because I like Brandon Pods. I like Moody. And uh, give me those picks. So yeah. that's kind of where my head's at, right? Yeah, now. I've been a Moody guy for a for a little bit, and when he wasn't getting a lot of minutes, but some of the stuff you saw from him uh, was promising. And yeah, Pods looks like a a guy that could be a really good movement shooter um, in the long term. Um, yeah, I'm kind of let me let me ask you about that Lakers shape. So I I know obviously it, it's it's almost feels like we are, we talk in the DMs about how uh, it feels inevitable that it's going to be like that. Uh, Russell and and Rui and whatever uh, gave Vincent and that first for Zach just because of the clutch connection. Do you think you could immediately trick a team into taking DeAndre Russell just because his numbers look good, like his raw numbers look good? Do you think you can like flip DeAndre Russell for a first to get some team to take him, even if it's like a late first? Like, do you think you could get that some a team to do that? Like. Well, you know, the nice thing about Russell's contract is that next year's his last year. So he's going to be an expiring next year. It's 18 million. That's a movable salary. Could you get a team to take him? Who? I don't know. Who needs a guard who stinks on defense, but can like give yeah. you some dribble shot creation? Maybe like if you could flip them. Great. I think like if you could get a lot of assets back for Zach and then start flipping those assets, similar to what the, trailblazers did with the lillard trade i think that that is a smart path to take uh so i don't know if you could get a first for russell i'm very skeptical of that but i do think you know is an expiring contract next year you could probably move off him take on a bad contract from another team similar to what washington did with jordan Poole uh this past year and maybe you get an asset for doing it so i think that could be on the table yeah i I'm I'm completely with you on the Warriors and Michael, you think Toronto would get desperate for a D'Angelo Russell? <laughs> like maybe. I don't know they what they're trying them. to do. Yeah. What's that? They yeah, could use I mean, for sure. They like, should go the other way. They gotta go the way of the Bulls and just start trading. They do, them. but they don't seem to want to either. So I don't know what their like their goal is because they got some free agents coming up that are you know, that, that you would think that they would be wanting to trade those guys, but there's just never been any movement there. And and then when they lost, obviously they lost uh, Van Vliet. So that came a big hole at point guard. So I don't know. That's like the only theme I can think of right now on top of my head that maybe you could 
if they conceivably still want to try to win. Um, I don't know. Yeah. No, I, I'm I'm really hoping it's the Warriors. To me, it's the best combination of young talent that you can get in a situation that really makes sense for Zach to go to a team that's really trying to maximize whatever window they have left with all of these veteran players. So um I I, I don't know how the numbers would work, but whatever contract, if it's Clay or Andrew Wiggins, that's really the bulk of that um financial return and then looking at um, those young players, like, I mean, I'd, I'd be fine with Pods or Kaminga or Moody. Um, I would really love to get uh, TJD out of this deal. I love TJD. And I oh, think yeah. he starts getting minutes. Oh, my God. He's going to be, well, not like a like special player, but I think he's going to be really good. And I think from what I've seen from his college career, he just keeps getting better and better and better each season. And he's just a really skilled big man. And I would love to get him as – just some kind of like throwing in that deal. So if we could get like two or three young players back in like a pick or two for Zach, I think that would add up. And if we have to take back Clay's deal or Andrew Wiggins deal, then that's fine by me. And we could just, um, we could reroute Clay or we could buy him out and he can go to a contender and then he can just sign back with the Warriors for cheap in the off season. I mean, I, I think that would work out. So um, I, I've been resigned to the fact that I think that the Bulls are not going to get a very strong Zach Levine deal just because of the general perception around him from the league. But so it will probably lose the deal on paper and, you know, that's fine. But I think we can still get useful assets back. And I think the Warriors are really the best case with that. The Lakers, I think they're just going to be really stingy and they're not going to want to trade like Austin Reeves and Rui. And I don't like a 2029 draft pick doesn't really mean a whole lot to me. So I don't know. It's to me, the Warriors have the best shot of it unless you start talking about really bad and desperate teams that don't really make a whole lot of sense, but are just trying to get some great talent in there. Like you said, Charlotte or, or Detroit. You know, it's funny, man. I, uh, at SB nation, I did a list of the best NBA prospects in high school basketball today. I did this in the summer and Cooper Flag was number one, and Carlos Boozer's kid was number two, which makes me feel like I'm 80 years old. <laughs> and then I, you know, list of Gilbert Arenas's kid was in there. I like listed 11 guys, put their NBA draft date here. And as I'm going through it, you know, I agree with you that like, what the hell does a 2029 pick do for me? I don't give a shit. But then like, I'm going through these kids, and I'm like, well, there's a lot of good prospects who are going to hit in 2027. And then two years from now, I just feel like we're going to be doing the same thing where it's like, well, maybe it would be nice to have that pick. So, mm -hmm. yeah, like I'm not like trading Zach for the 2029 pick is like this is going to save the franchise. But I want an unprotected pick if you're going to take that crap deal from the Lakers. And mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I mean, even if you don't keep it and use it, you could always trade it. You could do something else with it. So yeah, and who knows what the Lakers look like by then? Like LeBron will should be gone. I mean, should be gone by then. Who knows? Like, <laughs> who knows? Yeah. Well, the, the scary thing with the Lakers is just because they're the Lakers and they always attract other stars. So yeah, like, that's Luka always at that like this. Yeah, they like Luca or someone other uh, big name guy that just decides like, yeah, I just want to be. I want to go to LA. So you know, it just it happens, and that's the that's why the twenty ninety nine pick. It's just too far away when you're considering the Lakers. But like you said, a first-round pick can, can still be traded for as an asset to do something else with. Maybe you can maybe you can flip the 2029 pick for, with a team that has, like, 
the 2027 pick that they want to do something else with or something. I don't know. Yeah. So let, let's wrap on this. Um, getting back to like just some trade scenarios and like trying to, you know, assess value. What do you think about where DeMar DeRozan and Alice Caruso stand as trade chips? I mean, these Caruso is going to get a lot of interest if the Bulls open it up and the Bulls should easily be able to get a couple of first round picks and maybe even a young player back. DeMar DeRozan could be could range from a lot of different options, but would make sense on a contender as adding a scoring boost to a playoff team down the stretch. And he's on an expiring contract and it should be kind of easier to match up uh, in a deal. What do you think about their value and the potential options the Bulls could have there? I am a hardcore trade Caruso Mm. person. You got to trade him. Yeah. You know, learn from your mistakes, man. It's a key in life is you got to learn from your mistakes. The Bulls made a mistake last year, not trading DeRozan at the deadline when they probably could have got a decent package for him because he would have had, you know, two playoff runs uh, for the team who acquired him and they didn't do it. And of course they went nowhere. And I think you just can't do that again with Caruso. Like next year, he's going to be an expiring. Why the hell would Caruso resign here? We're not going to be able to put a good enough team around Caruso. You're going to have to wildly overbid to get him to resign. And even then, I don't know if he's going to take it because he's a player who deserves to be playing in meaningful basketball games. Uh, so you got to trade him and you should be able to get a haul for him. And I want all the picks, pick swaps, seconds, young players, whatever, you know, just give me the best overall package of assets for Caruso. I'm trading him to the highest bidder. And I think that you're going to get a lot of bids there because there's a lot of teams who could use him and he could be a player. Like, you know, if the Kings trade for Caruso last year at the deadline, do they beat the Warriors in the first round series? I think maybe. Like Crusoe's that good. He's really, he really moves the needle. So yeah, I'm, I'm doing that for Caruso. And then DeRozan, I think you just got to get off DeRozan. Like tomorrow's a very good signing. It's too bad. They had to trade a first round pick for him, but he was phenomenal on the bulls. I have a very high opinion of DeMar, uh, but he just plays so methodically that I think it's just better for the team to get off him and to let, some other guys have some room to breathe offensively where it's sort of tough to do that with DeMar on the floor. Uh, But, you know, the last game he played great against the Pelicans. He really was like a pass first sort of uh, steady veteran wing. So personally, I'd trade DeMar. I could hear an argument for keeping him. I think really like you want to probably keep one of him or Vooch, then let that guy kind of, uh, you know, if it's Vooch, like he can rehab his value and then you eventually trade him too. And he's an expiring, but uh, I'd like to get off Demar. What do you guys think? Would you do you want to trade Demar, or do you think they absolutely. should resign him? Yeah, absolutely. I I think you need to. I mean, if you can get off everyone, I mean that would be ideal. I mean, but yeah, but we've been talking about uh, we've been talking about Vooch, and he might be the the harder sell there to to get off. So it, it seems more likely that next season, um, you know, if, if Zach and Demar and Caruso aren't here, then you're looking at a team where Vooch is probably going to get some numbers and. Maybe we can, you know, ship him out then. But yeah, in an ideal state, like I mean, yeah, I, you got to get Zach. Once you get Zach out, Demar and Caruso are next. And, you know, as our, you know, as I got Big Dave says, uh, Alex Caruso is rims, and the Bulls are not in a situation to drive a car with really nice rims at this point. So um, yeah, I think Caruso just has he's peaked sell high right now. You can get two first round picks. You can probably get a young player 
a number of teams should be interested. You mentioned Sacramento, Golden State. We talked about them. They could be interested in in Caruso if they're not interested in Zach Levine. I mean, there could be a number of playoff teams, and the Bulls will get a really useful package back. And Demar a little bit more limited, but there could be something. But either way, I think you just take you just sell Demar to the highest bidder and move on. But overall, like I think by the trade deadline, if this team hasn't just went into just full sell mode and just started getting what they can for these guys, then it's probably going to be a big failure and a waste of time because they're not going to get what they can for these guys in the offseason. They're just, it's pretty much gone, especially in DeMar's case because he'll be a free agent. So, Yeah, Caruso is a must move. Like he's your easiest, he's your best asset and your easiest moved asset. And like you said, Ricky, you can get like two draft picks for him and probably a young prospect. Um, like obviously not to say they'll get like high draft picks, but two picks is two picks. And then Demar, yeah, I would see I would see if you can get like two seconds and a matching contract. Uh from like I don't know. I know team people have talked about like the Grizzlies, for example, uh to kind of salvage their season. They want to add some, you know, talent to hold over till uh Ja comes back. But yeah, I mean you have to. I mean I, that's the that's the that's the part that we're wondering about uh, with AK talking about how he wants to assess this roster without Zach. And obviously you see these two games and everyone's excited. Um, if fans are excited, is the, is the front office looking at the same thing? It's like, oh, look, we told you. <laughs> we told you if you trade Zach, we're going to we're gonna figure it out. And, I mean, that's like a kind of a fear that they'll end up keeping Alex and uh, DeMar and trying to – just keep winning and right. I'm granted a 2024 draft isn't some like star laden draft by any means, but I think you gotta you gotta you gotta get something for guys that are likely to walk in free agency. I said, especially Damari's that he's gonna want to stay this off season. Um, even if even if he's not gonna get paid by another team, I'm, I'm assuming he's gonna want to go try to win. Um, even if it's if it's like a mini, um a mid level exception type of deal with a contender, I would imagine he would take that over signing with the Bulls again. Um, and then Alex, like, yeah, you're just wasting an opportunity, and especially if he gets hurt, that's that's the other feel with with uh, Caruso is he might get injured because he's just psychotic and he do, he doesn't have like I'm not gonna go 200 miles an hour even if this team is only gonna win two games in a season I'm still gonna you know die for loose balls when we're down 40 it doesn't matter so yeah you gotta you gotta move those guys 100 percent yeah it, we'll see what happens at the trade deadline or we'll see what happens in a few weeks once you know everything starts to open up on December 15th when there will be more options for trades with these players becoming available. So um, it, it's going to be really interesting to follow. And it, like like we said at the top of the show, with the Bulls playing such entertaining basketball and the vibes being high, it just feels, it just feels weird because we know what's coming along the horizon. So it's like, this isn't all going to look the same, but we're enjoying it while it's here. But uh, Ricky, man, thank you for for joining us for the show. It was great talking to you and chopping it up about the Bulls, man. You let our listeners know what you're working on and where they can find your stuff. I'm sure they already know, but what you're working on and what you got in the pipeline, man. Yeah, so I need to do an NBA mock draft. I haven't started it yet. I got to do it <laughs> for next week. So you can find that on SBNation.com if you want to get a little early peek at the 2024 draft. 
I got some thoughts on that already. Uh, so you can check SB Nation next week. Hopefully it will be there. If not, yell at me and maybe I'll be more motivated to do it. You can find my Bulls podcast anywhere. It's called Cash Considerations. And yeah, just writing about the NBA, writing about college hoops and the draft and talking about the Bulls. So that's it for me. All right. All right. Yeah. Check out Ricky, man. Great draft mind. Check out his Bulls coverage on SB Nation and listen to Cash Considerations. Uh, Salim, you got any final thoughts before we wrap up, man? I do. Actually, I want to ask Ricky about the draft because he is a big uh, draft uh, guy and he does a lot of scouting on on these prospects that come in every year. Um, I This draft, I think, is generally accepted as not a strong draft. Um, I'm somebody that's trying to do a little bit more film watching on some guys. And, like, I, I know about Isaiah Collier. I know about Nikola Topic, um, Matas, I think was, was it but I can't pronounce his last Bezellas. name. I don't. What was what is it? Bazellas. Bazellas. Um, what are what are some guys that you think some people should look at? Um, obviously not to say that they're like budding stars, but interesting prospects that could the Bulls could look to add as they if they do decide to go for a full rebuild, um, and and start you know taking their lumps and tanking. Love Nikola Topic. He would be an awesome get for them. Six seven guard. Just telling some people he reminds me of uh, Goran Dragic a few weeks ago, but he's even bigger than that. Uh, he's got some weaknesses too. His like spot up three is really bad. His defense looks horrible, but you know his like shot creation, his ability to get to the rim is so good. He's been so productive in a pro league in Europe. So I love him. I think Alex Sar is awesome. Seven one freak athlete. Uh, major two-way impact, crazy ground coverage. He's only a play finisher on offense. So, you know, you need someone to get him the ball, but, you know, just getting someone with that length, that athleticism would be great for any team and for the Bulls. Ron Holland, possible number one pick, youngest player in the draft. I realized he was born on my 18th birthday. I think I need to retire at this point when (laughs) NBA stars or future NBA stars are being born on my 18th birthday, but uh, big wing out of Texas. Interested to see his offensive development the rest of the year with uh, the G League Ignite. And then the guy who's really caught my eye throughout this season has been Rob Dillingham with Kentucky. Small, tiny point guard for Kentucky, uh, but he's been so electric as an offensive player. Insane shooter, really good playmaker. He had a reputation as like taking a lot of bad shots and being sort of a selfish player. And that has not been the case at all. From what I've seen, I was in the gym for the Champions Classic. He tore apart Kansas. He had threes on four straight possessions for Kentucky. Uh, in that matchup, he was great against Miami when Kentucky beat them last weekend. So big fan of Dillingham. And yeah, those are some of the guys I've uh, been keeping my eye on. Let me ask you about Topic because I've been watching a lot of him lately, just random stuff. And I obviously mentioned his shot is not that great right now but i feel like it's not it's not terrible in the sense that i, I can't i can't see him ever being able to be a, a an adequate shooter um and especially you look at his free throw percentage he shoots the free throw pretty well uh, i think he's like 84 percent um and, and here's euro basket numbers but just watching him offensively obviously so he seems like he could be a really big strong elite offensive engine great at finishing at the rim 
Um, but like, do you, would you agree with that? Like, a, like just me looking at the film and looking at his shot mechanics, I feel like that's something that's fixable, and that you, he could become like an adequate shooter. I think he's a pretty good shooter off the dribble. Like, it's weird. Like, some guys are just more comfortable shooting off the dribble in rhythm. James Harden, obviously, being like the major example of that. But yeah, I think his shot looks good off the dribble. Uh, I don't think it looks good on spot ups. Okay. So yeah, I mean he's what he's 18. So you got to coach him up. The Bulls got a shooting coach now, so all their problems are fixed. 15th and three point rate after being dead last two years in a row. Let's go. And uh, yeah, I mean you know he's 18, but he seems like he's got a lot of tools to work with. Real quick, do you um you, you mentioned Dillingham's on the same team? Um, Reed Shepard. I mean he's been also he's crazy. incredible. Yeah, crazy start. When he gets an adult haircut, it's over. Reed Shepard has <laughs> a very weird haircut. But, yeah, I uh, talked to him a little bit after the uh, Kentucky-Kansas game. His, he's so small, which is the problem, and he's not an on-ball player. He's like a 3-and-D wing who's like 6'2 with a 6'2 wingspan. Yeah. But he is an awesome shooter. And defensively, he just, like, gets right up in your chest and is so good defensively. He probably guard point guards in the NBA and then, you know, just be a guy who can rip threes off the ball. So, yeah, I mean, I think Reed Shepard looks great. I don't I don't really know what his NBA utility is going to be because I can't see him, like, breaking down guys off the dribble in the league. And, like, he can only guard so many guys because he's so tiny. Yeah. But – he has awesome hands. He's an awesome shooter. And I'm going to have him as a lottery pick, maybe, maybe, when I do this mock draft. Well, completely uh, related to the draft again, um, do you think uh, Bronny is a lottery pick still? Well, he hasn't played. So we'll see where he's at when he plays. Uh, I thought he had a good chance to be a lottery pick coming into the season. I've watched a lot of Browning games when he was at Sierra Canyon. He played in Illinois at Wintrust Arena, which is where the Sky play and DePaul play. I think they played Glenn Bard North uh, when he was a senior. So, yeah, I kind of like Browning's game for sure. It's funny because, like, you know, the son of the third greatest player ever and the son of a billionaire, he plays such an egoless game. Like, he doesn't really want to shoot a lot but he'll take open shots. He's like a very like gritty player who like wants to win loose balls and who wants to take charges and who wants to hit the glass. You know, the problem with Bronny is he didn't get his dad's height. Uh, if yeah. he had his dad's height, we'd be talking about a really legit prospect. But again, like we'll see where he comes in when they put a tape measure up to him. But I think he's like six, three probably. And he's got a strong chest. His game is going to be, you know, pretty dependent on his three-point shot. He reminds me a little bit of Dillingham. Or I'm sorry, not Dillingham, of Reed Shepard, actually, just in terms of, like, how you're going to use him. But Reed Shepard is just, like, such a good shooter that, you know, there's just more utility in that. Uh, so we'll see. But, yeah, I'm very interested to see Brownie. Hopefully he's feeling well, and hopefully he can get on the floor this season. Exactly. Yeah. It's going to be an interesting draft. I mean, all the discussion has been about how bad it is, but there will be a few pretty good players that come from it. So, I mean, the scouting firm is really starting to ramp up and we're starting to see some signs that there's going to be a lot of like diamonds in the rough here. So it's going to be really interesting to see the development of this class. But um, that concludes today's Bulls Gold. As always, you can check out our past shows wherever you get your podcasts on Apple, on Spotify. Thank you again to Ricky O'Donnell for joining us. For Swings World, I'm Edward Schuler. This has been Bulls Gold and you can catch us next time. Bulls we'll